All right. Well, I am, I am going to uh, speak today. The topic that I was uh, given was shine in culture. And I'm actually not going to talk a lot about culture today, although there's certainly a time and a place to talk about that. I'm going to talk more about us and how we are to respond, uh, what Scripture would say about how we can shine in the midst of a dark world. This passage is probably familiar to a lot of you. Uh, I'm going to read it for us. This is Philippians chapter 2. And then we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. We'll break it down into four points. So this is uh, the word of the Lord. Uh, this is what Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 12 to 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me." I'm just going to pray really briefly here. So bow your heads one more time. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take this text, which is really a basic and important text that's probably well known. And God, I pray that you would make it come alive to us, that you would show us how important it is, how relevant it is. And God, give us hearts that are receptive and even that rejoice in response to what this text says and what it asks of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to break this down into four uh, points here, and we're going to work through it. And just as a reminder, I believe that y'all will have small groups next Friday where I think you will discuss some of the, what we're talking about in this text. So just keep that in mind as we, as we walk through this. Um, I think we can all agree culture is clearly moving in a darker and darker direction uh, away from biblical, faithful Christianity. Would you agree that there is more pressure now than even 10 years ago uh, to not hold to what Scripture teaches in all that it says? It's one thing to take a couple of popular verses and hold on to those, but to embrace all of what Scripture says from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, is that going to make you popular in our world today? Not very much, right? So let's see how we are to shine in a dark world. Because, as the old cliche, you know, the darker the night is, the brighter the dawn. Well, the darker the culture is, you know what that does for us? That actually gives us, in a strange way, a better opportunity to shine. Because your light is going to look brighter in a darker context, right? You turn all the lights out in the house and you light up that little candle with the power goes out maybe, you light that candle up and what happens? You see suddenly how bright something so small can be. So number one, what do we see how we are to shine in our culture? Number one, we shine by working out our salvation. Listen to this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who, who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The, the, the fear and trembling there is not mainly terror. You know why the fear and trembling is there? It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for because God is at work in you. 
That is a sign of a reverence and awe. The God of the universe, he knows about you, he cares about you, he's involved in the ins and outs of your life, he is working in you to will and to work for his good purpose. God cares about you in that way. If you know the Lord Jesus, God's care for you is such that he is working in your life presently right now, and should that bring about awe and reverence, a fear and trembling, that the God who made everything is at work in my life. Yes, but here's what else it tells us. We are not here commanded to work for our salvation. We know this, right? We're not working for it. It's by grace through faith in Christ. But we are commanded to do what? To work out our salvation. So we are working out what God is working in us. And this is a call to obedience. And the only way we're going to be able to do this truly is by relying on God's daily grace. So we cannot work out what God has not first worked in, right? We work out. God works in. And what God works in is the willingness to work for his good pleasure. What should that do to us? That should make all of us humble and desperate for God's help. Because think about it. When circumstances are challenging in your life, and even for the youngest in this room, I know that circumstances can be extremely challenging. I don't want to minimize that. When those circumstances come and times are difficult, do you know how difficult it can be to truly trust the Lord's promises? that he's working this for your good, and to actually rejoice in the face of trials? Can we agree that is not an easy, nor natural, nor even just human thing to do, to rejoice in the face of challenges? And yet, when we rely on God and we plead for his grace, he can work in us the ability and the willingness to rejoice in the midst of hardship and to trust him when things are not going the way that we wish. And let me ask, if we do that, is that going to shine a light to the culture around us. Yeah. First Peter, I, I teach apologetics here. You probably know that. Apologetics is a fancy word that means defending your faith. To give an apology is not to say I'm sorry. It's to give a defense for your faith. It's based on the Greek of First uh, Peter chapter 3. It says, set apart the Lord, uh, Christ as Lord in your heart, and always be ready to give a an ap- ap- apologia, a defense, an apologi- uh, apologetic. G- give a defense for everyone who asks you for the reason for what? For the hope that is in you, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Now, do you hear that? We are to shine a light, and the the culture is supposed to look at you and say, with what you've gone through in your life, it doesn't make sense that you still have that hope. What are you hoping in that I don't have access to as an unbeliever? What is it that's giving you, that's fueling your joy when all your circumstances don't seem to be producing joy. Where are you getting that from? What is your hope? And when they ask you, you give an apologetic. You give a defense for your faith, but you do it how? Gentle, gently and respectfully, keeping a clear conscience, right? So that those who look on will be, will be astonished at what they see in your life. So we need God, uh, we need to work out our salvation by relying on God to produce in us what we cannot produce in ourselves. Number two, now th- this one really sounds not very dramatic at first, but I think it's actually way more astonishing than you think at first. We shine. I mean, like, how do we shine? You think it's going to be some great dramatic thing. We shine by doing these amazing spiritual feats. No. You know what it says? We shine by, we, we all love this one. We, we shine by not grumbling or disputing, complaining. That's what the text says. You're expecting something more dramatic. L- listen to what it says. It's about to say we're going to shine in the world. How do we do that? Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you might shine as lights in the world. That just doesn't sound very dramatic. 
don't dispute, don't grumble, don't complain, and you'll be a light in the world? I don't, I don't get it. I'll just mention two quick stories. Some of y'all have at least heard one of these before, so I'll be brief. There was a guy who used to be a member of our church. He's, he's moved away. He's, he's, he's uh, in Gwinnett, I believe now. But his name is Jose Rodriguez. He came to our church, and he was working in a lab at UGA. And we've got a lot of people who work at these labs at UGA. So two stories from labs right now. And he was working in a lab at UGA with another member of our church. He did not yet know our church. And he was there, and this guy in the lab was named Manuel Fierro, and uh, a, a, a guy who loves the Lord. And he said that all the guys in the lab would start, uh, the guys and girls would all be there, and they would all start gossiping about someone who was not present. Like, just like, like just tearing people apart when they weren't around. And Jose would listen to this, and he said over time he realized Manuel, the guy who was part of our church, said Manuel would never participate in the gossip and the complaining and the moaning about everything. He would never participate. And he said he thought it was strange because everybody would team up on someone and just beat them up with their words, and Manuel would just sit there. He would change the subject. He might slowly walk away. He would not participate over and over, week after week, month after month. Well, that led Jose to ask Manuel some stuff. They became friends. He started coming to our church, and after a period of several months, Jose was radically converted. I still remember the day. He was on a front row on one Sunday. He was just weeping after a service because Ephesians 1 had been read, and he was just absolutely uh, broken, and he trusted Christ. How did his testimony come about? A light in the lab. And what was the light in the lab? One guy who did not complain, groan, or gossip. That's what led to him knowing Christ. And today he loves the Lord. His wife loves the Lord. He's raising his children to love the Lord. His whole life was changed because of a light in the lab, which was... One guy not gossiping and complaining. Isn't that amazing to think how God can use something seemingly so small? Point number three. We shine, this is the opposite of complaining. We shine by being content and joyful. We shine by being content and joyful. Listen to this. Paul says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. You also should be glad and rejoice with me. Uh, I don't probably need to remind you. You know where Paul is when he wrote Philippians? Yeah, he's under basically a jail. It's a house arrest. He's chained to a Roman guard. Now, now just, just stop for a second. So I, I, let's talk about hardships in your life. You ready? Paul had big plans. We're told in Romans 15 he wanted to go to Spain on the other side of the Roman Empire and preach the gospel where Jesus had not been named. He's ready to go. He wants to do this great thing for the Lord. And it was a great thing. We're not sure Paul ever got to Spain. Because you know what happened? When he was in Jerusalem, he was falsely accused of doing something he did not do. He was arrested, falsely charged, and then he was put in prison in a place called Caesarea, right on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea, where he sat, going nowhere, for two years. Two years. And then after that, he was released, not released, he was put on a boat. He was experienced a shipwreck. Remember his shipwreck? He ends up on the island of Malta. Then he ends up after that winter, he ends up in Rome, and he spends two years in Rome sitting under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard. Now listen, if you've ever had a detour in your life, unplanned things happen where you go, this is not what I wanted for my life, and God took me in a different direction. Paul had a great plan. He wanted to preach Christ in Spain. Did the Lord have a much different plan? The plan was you're going to spend the next four plus years in prison, Two years here, two years in Rome. And at the end of those four years, Paul writes a letter to the Philippians. And you know what the letter is marked by? One word. It's called the epistle of joy. This word, the word joy appears everywhere in Philippians. You know what Paul says at the beginning of the letter? Look at this perspective. He could be complaining. He could be groaning. He could be discontent. God, this is not what I wanted for my life. I don't want to spend four years chained up. I wanted to do something. 
But instead, he sees God's providential hand working through his trial. And you know what he says? This, what has happened to me, being chained to a Roman guard, has actually served to advance the gospel. I've been able to preach the gospel to the whole praetorium guard. All of Caesar's guards are chained to Paul, you know, in like six-hour shifts. And they're like, oh, no, I got Paul today. The Roman guard is like, oh, no. Been chained to this guy. He's going to be talking to me about this, this Messiah the whole time. And then Roman guards perhaps were converted, but Paul was able to preach the gospel to all of Caesar's guards. And he says many brothers in Rome, Christians in Rome, became encouraged and emboldened to preach the gospel without fear because of Paul in prison. Did God have other plans than Paul, and did God have a good purpose through Paul? Yes. And because Paul knew that, Paul was able to rejoice and find contentment when his life went in a four-year detour from where he wanted to go. Do you see how relevant this is? So if we can find contentment and say, listen, Lord, this is not what I wanted for this week or this month of my life, but I trust your providence is in control and you are working this for my good, can that help us some with our anxiety struggles, our discouragement, depression? Can that help us with fear and anger and all these things? Can that help us work through some of that to say, Lord, help me to trust that although I don't know what you're up to, I know that you're up to something good in my life and you are working this out for my good. And can that create a culture of joy? I don't have time, but I'm going to add a story here. Okay. Apologies to the next period class. Uh, I'll be done soon. So uh, just, just real quick. We're not, we're not over yet. We're not over yet in time. Uh, so two quick things. Number one, Paul, when he first showed up in Philippi, the place he's writing to, when he first showed up there, remember what happened? He cast a demon out of a girl who was enslaved and being exploited by some horrible men because she was able to do crazy stuff with a demon that was inside of her. So he, Paul cast the demon out. The two men lose their source of income through this woman that they're abusing, this poor girl. And so what happens? They falsely accuse Paul and they have him taken to Philippian jail. I did some research on this, but you read Acts 16. Here's what happens. The Philippian jailer takes Paul and they beat him with rods. You think you're having a bad morning, okay? They beat him with rods, and then they take him into the inner jail in the Philippian jail. You remember this? And they put, he and his friend Silas, they put him in stocks, which you know what that is, right? Your ankles, your feet, you're locked in. You cannot move anywhere. If there's ever a time in your life where you want to complain, this is the moment, right? By the way, let me add something. Paul, a few months earlier, he wanted direction from the Lord, and then the Lord told him through a, through a dream to go to, to go to Macedonia, where Philippi is. So he's like, the Lord is guiding me. He gets there. He's expecting something dramatic to happen. And what happens? He's beaten by rods. He's in stocks in an inner prison, and it's midnight. Let's be honest, okay? I know he's a Bible character, but he was a real person. Imagine you're with Paul and Silas. You're now, you've been beaten with rods for talking about Jesus and helping a girl who was enslaved. You're now in a prison wrongly. You're in stocks. It's midnight. You can't sleep because it's the most uncomfortable thing imaginable. You're in great pain. Your body's been wounded throughout the day. You've probably got all kinds of issues with your back and all that stuff. You're sitting there in bond. What is your attitude right now? I am going to struggle, okay? I, I'm going to struggle with having a good attitude at this moment. And you remember what they're doing. At midnight, they were singing hymns and praising the Lord. They were singing songs, praising God, and an earthquake struck. The doors open. The prisoners don't leave. Remember, the jailer comes in. He thinks he's lost his life because he thinks that they're gone. He's going to throw himself on his sword to commit suicide. Paul says, stop. Don't hurt yourself. And the man says, what must I do to be saved? He is, he is converted on the spot, and he then attends to the very wounds he caused on Paul's body the day before. Now, do you see? Is joy in the middle of a dark moment a light to an unbeliever? 
Do you get how powerful this is? This is not just like, oh, you know, a coffee mug, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. It's not like some sort of Christian mantra. It's great to have that on a coffee mug. But it's not, it's not a mantra. It's not a bumper sticker. This is, this is reality. When you are going through the hardest time of your life and you are able to dig your roots down into Christ in such a way that you can actually get the resources of joy in the midst of life's hardships, is that a bright light shining for everyone around you to see? It absolutely is. And the jailer became a Christian along with his children and his wife, apparently. That his whole family was converted that night. Why? Because of one man or two men, their joy in the midst of difficulty. Okay, I'll skip the other story. We'll come back to it maybe some other time. Uh, l- l- let me uh, go to our fourth point. Shine by holding fast to the word of life. Here's what Paul says. Among whom this twisted and crooked generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, how, again, what what else? Holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast to the word of life. Seniors, we've talked about this a lot, so you've heard this, but I'll just say, um, as the culture becomes more hostile to this book, two things, and Mr. Clark mentioned this to me as well, preparing for this, two things, we gotta gotta get this right, and I I fail at this. this, we gotta get these two things right. We can never compromise what this book teaches. Let me just mention in the area of sexual immorality in particular today, we, we cannot say, we cannot contradict God's word. We've got to stay true to God's word no matter what it costs us. Okay? But there's something else I want to add. As we stay true to this book, we don't do it as jerks. <laughs> okay? We don't do it as self-righteous Pharisees. We do it humble, gracious, gentle, kind, our words seasoned with salt that we might know how to answer every unbeliever we come into contact with. Listen, they may hate what Scripture says, but they should, they should, they should appreciate our attitude and the way we go about talking to them. Okay? We, we want to be true to the God's Word, and we want to be kind in the way that we do that. Okay? True to God's Word. Never compromise God's Word. And we want to be gracious, kind, and humble in our manner of presentation. And if you get those two things together... Some people likely will come to know Christ through your life and ministry. Others, now hear me on this. It's my last point. I've got to wrap up. Other people, I'm just going to be straight up with you. Jesus says this crystal clear in uh, John chapter uh, 16. Some people, no matter how gracious you speak the truth to them, are going to not like you anyway. Okay? It is, it is, it is actually true that you can be a faithful, kind, gracious witness to the truth and be hated for it. Because did did Jesus get hated? And he was the embodiment of love. He was love in flesh. And yet when he spoke the truth, was he hated for it anyway? So listen, some people are going to come to know Christ, I pray, through your lives. And through your testimony. And through your light. Other people are going to reject it. And we cannot change the message because some people reject it. And we can't throw out what the Bible says because some people don't like it. We love them. We're kind to them. And ultimately, all this is rooted back in what Christ did for us. Because Paul began this chapter by saying, Jesus, although equal with the Father, took on the form of a servant. And he died a death faithfully on a cross to rescue us from our sins and our failings. And we can model that to a fallen world that needs to hear it. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, I do ask for these things to be true of every single person in this room. Help us, God, to shine by working out our salvation and obeying you with fear and trembling and reverence, depending on your strength to obey. Help us, God. This is a hard one. I fail at this thing regularly. Lord, help us to shine by not grumbling, disputing, complaining, gossiping, 
Help us not to do those things. Help us instead to shine by being content and joyful, trusting in your goodness in our life and especially in the midst of difficulties, setbacks, and detours. And finally, Lord, help us to shine by holding fast to the word of life. Help us to hold on to it, to believe it, to trust it, to study it, to speak about it, to share it with others, but always to do it with kindness and graciousness and gentleness that we might give a defense for what we believe in that manner. And God, I pray that through the students in this room in the coming years and even decades that you would raise them up and that you would use them mightily in Athens and far beyond this area to draw people to you, help them to be faithful uh, servants of Christ who honor you with their lives and repent when we fail. And God, I pray that you would use them greatly and draw people to you through them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.